Welcome to Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church, and thank you for joining us as we share the good news of Christ's love. We share a rich tradition as a diverse and welcoming congregation. We strive to meet people where they are and join them on their faith journey as we carry out our mission to love God, love neighbor, and change the world. Welcome to Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. We say a word of greeting. To those of you here in the sanctuary, as well as those streaming and watching on television, we're thankful for your presence as well. We had much needed rain last night. It continues to rain this morning. We're thankful to be in a place like this where we can worship and give God thanks for the refreshing rain. So we take this time now to focus on the joy of being in this holy place together at this holy time. join together in our call to worship from the book of Revelation, 
Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? join in our affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Good morning. I'm Ryan Hamra, Chair of the Staff Parish Relations Committee. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Luckily, at Pulaski Heights, we have the best pastors around. So I'd like to take a moment and honor our six clergy on staff, and I encourage you to send them a note of appreciation this week. All of them give their best to care for our congregation and help us live out our mission to love God, love neighbor, and change the world. So please give John, Jay, Kathleen, Jeff, Abby, and Katie a big round of applause. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, we come to the time in our service where we lift up our joys and concerns from our church community. This morning we pray for all experiencing grief and loss, and our Christian sympathy is extended to Gina Gregory and family in the death of her mother, Pat Honeycutt, to Allison Gatton in the death of her grandmother, Maiden Brewer, to Corey Jones and family in the death of his brother-in-law, Barry Campbell. We also pray for all those who have been hospitalized recently, including Archer Shirley, Bobby Joe Woods, Michelle Wilkins, Bobby Dennis, Jean Eford, and June Myers. We rejoice in the birth of Charlotte Langley Mall, the child of Meredith and Tommy Mall. We also rejoice in the baptism of Caroline Metz Ballard, the child of Luke and Summer Ballard, and Stella Blair Freeland, the child of Anders and Bethany Freeland. We also welcome new members to our community of faith. Ethne Ashcraft, Sarah Wallace Jennings, Landon Crancer, and Bob and Susan Scott. I also want to lift up students in the Conway School District who feel that they are not seen or heard or loved. And I want you to know that you are seen and heard and loved. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we feel chaos before creation in the very core of our being. The changing tides, first swelling with hope and then sliding toward despair. Waves of grief crash over us, shaking the very foundations of some of our lives. We have anticipation excited by what the future holds. Our focus is drawn inward to the joys and concerns closest to us. And then our eyes search the horizon and see the fears and elation of our neighbors far away. Through it all, O oh God, the highs, the lows, the uncertainty, the hope, we trust in you. For you spoke and the awe-inspiring diversity of creation came into being. And we just ask you to speak your words of hope, healing, redemption, love and peace into our lives today. Recreate us, O oh God. Restore us. Remind us in your image, in life-giving relationships, in divine dance. Again, we feel the chaos before creation in the core of our being, but we know that you are with us. Breathe your spirit through our lives. We pray all of this as we lift our voices together in our congregational prayer. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding. 
and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your ways through what we have done and what we have left undone. As we remember the lavish gift of your grace symbolized in baptism, O oh God, we praise you and give you thanks that you forgive us yet again. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and in whose name we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. As the ushers come forward to receive our offering, we're thankful for your giving each week. Because you give, we are able to host Youth Service Sunday School. Youth Service Sunday School is a new innovative program that allows youth to serve in different areas of the church on Sunday mornings, such as ushering, helping in children's ministry Sunday school, and greeting. This allows them to build intergenerational relationships relationships and live out their membership vows to the church. All of this is made possible because of your radical generosity. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for every opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to remain standing as today we read from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning with verse 22. I invite you to hear these holy words. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This is the word of God for the people of God. Before you're seated, please take a moment to greet each other in the name of Jesus Christ. What a pleasure it is to see all of you this morning on this rainy Sunday morning, the beautiful rain coming down, your beautiful faces in the sanctuary. What a chance to be able to celebrate our faith together. We say a word of greeting also to those in Camden and Whitehall and Desark, as well as those who are watching on television or online in nursing homes and hospitals across the state of Arkansas. We're grateful to have all of you today. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We don't get real excited about almosts. We don't tend to celebrate people who almost accomplish something. History books are not riddled with the names of people who almost climbed Mount Everest. We don't throw a party for someone who almost passed the bar. And the church cannot do the work we are called to do when people almost contribute in support of the mission and ministry of our congregation. We tend to celebrate great accomplishments and achievements worthy causes and goals that have been reached. We don't get excited about almosts. Can you imagine what it would be like if we almost won the Second World War? What would you think if you found out the one who was about to perform your surgery almost graduated from medical school? And what would the world be like if those women who went to the tomb and looked in and saw an empty tomb had almost told the world that he is risen? We don't get particularly excited about almosts, but there are times when almosts keep us going, when we're almost there. If we believed that we almost had a cure for cancer, we would keep fighting and trying and funding so that we would reach the goal of no more cancer. 
If we almost could eradicate poverty and hunger across the world so that no one ever went without, if we were almost at that goal, we would continue to make every effort. There are times when almosts keep us motivated, keep us encouraged, keep us on the right path. But Mark, the gospel writer, tells us an extraordinary story that is only recorded in his gospel about how Jesus almost healed someone. If at first you don't succeed, as Jesus did, he tried again. They bring a blind man to Jesus Obviously, we will discover that his sight will be restored, which means, of course, that at one time he could see. We don't know his name. We don't know how he has the condition that he has that has caused him to lose his eyesight. But he has friends who bring him to Jesus. And they ask Jesus to do something. It is obvious what they want done. They want their friend's eyesight to be restored. And so Jesus, interestingly enough, takes him outside the city gates. This is highly unusual. Jesus doesn't usually do that when he has an encounter with someone right in the moment. He typically responds, but on this occasion, he takes the blind man by the hand and takes him outside the city limits. And then he uses everything in his arsenal. He has touched the man. He even uses his own spittle to touch the eyes of the man who was blind. And then Jesus, as if he already knows, says to the blind man, Can you see? And the blind man says, Well, I can see people, but they're like trees. In other words, it's not clear. His sight has not been fully restored. And Jesus has to do it again. If at first you don't succeed, in this case, you try again. And this time, the man's sight is restored completely. And notice Jesus says, just go on your way. Don't say a word. Now, why would Mark, the gospel writer, include this story? If I were putting together the gospel of Mark, I probably would have left this one out. I know what it's like to be in the condition of the young man who lost his eyesight. When I was in high school, I was involved in a terrible work-related construction accident. And I, as a result, lost sight in my right eye. It was terribly damaged. I had to have surgery. I was hospitalized for two weeks. I was blind in my eye for an extended period of time. And every day, my mother would have to put this salve on my eye. Jesus used spittle my mother used this salve to keep the eye moist and to bring about some form of healing. The doctor who performed the surgery said the likelihood of you ever having eyesight again 
And that eye is very slim. But I kept doing what the doctor told me to do until they told me, whatever you do, don't take that patch off your eye at any point in time. It helps with the healing process. Being a 15-year-old, I decided I know more than the doctor does, so I'll just take the patch off when I choose to do that. Because I wanted to be able to see so desperately out of this injured eye. And for a long, long time, I couldn't for more than a year. Finally, one day, I uncovered my bad eye and covered my good eye and saw a flicker on the television. I was over the moon excited. And as my eyesight began to come back, I noticed people. You know what they look like? Trees. You see a trunk and you see branches. They look like trees. Every time I read this story in the Gospel of Mark, I am so taken with it because what this blind man said is absolutely true. He kind of had his eyesight restored, and at that point, I kind of had my eyesight restored. Now, as the years have gone by, I actually have good eyesight. I have to wear glasses but I can see I'm very fortunate and very, very blessed. Why would Mark include this story? Why in the world did it take Jesus two times to bring about total healing for someone who was blind? If you read the Gospel of Mark, you discover something that makes Mark stand out from the other Gospels. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is continually surrounded by unbelief, by a lack of belief not only on the part of the community at large, but even his closest companions. And evidently, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is highly reliant on the faith of those around him to bring about healing. In Mark's gospel, the disciples never get it. These 12 hand-selected, intimate friends of Jesus who follow him everywhere and listen to all of his teachings and his preaching and see one miracle performed after another never really understand themselves who Jesus is. You remember the occasion where Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and there is a storm that is raging and Jesus calms the seas and the first thing the disciples do is look at each other and say, who is this guy that he could do something like this? Now he is well into his ministry by this time. They've seen him do all kinds of things. What do you mean, who is this guy? They just don't understand, and the toll of the unbelief seems to take a toll on Jesus' capacity to bring about healing on occasion. In Mark's gospel, Jesus' own family, his siblings, and even his mother in Mark's gospel say to those who are closest to Jesus, he's out of his mind. He's lost his way. His own family does not understand who he is. He is just inundated with a lack of belief 
on the part of those he is trying to minister to. And the fatigue of that emotionally, physically, and spiritually evidently takes a toll on Jesus and his capacity to do what he is more than capable of doing. Just preceding this story, Jesus turns to those who are around him in total frustration and says, are your hearts still hardened? Do your eyes still fail to see and your ears still fail to hear? Do you still not understand? You can see and feel the exhaustion on the part of Jesus in Mark's gospel more so than any of the others when it comes to the frustration of not being able to fully appreciate who Jesus is on the part of his respective audiences. But if at first you don't succeed, you try again. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't say to the young man, I gave you my best shot. You can see better now than you could before. Maybe not fully, but you can at least see trees walking around. That's better. You okay with that? Go on about your business. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does what he is supposed to do, and he completes the task. It takes him two times, but he does it. There are times when Jesus could have easily quit, and he doesn't. If at first you don't succeed, you try again. You don't quit on people, and Jesus never quit on anyone. And there were those occasions when he was given ample opportunity to do so. There are even times when Jesus wanted to quit. Remember when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to the disciples, please just pray. I'm going to go off by myself and pray. And the disciples fall asleep. They can't even stay awake when Jesus is in a desperate state. And Scripture tells us that as Jesus prays, his sweat is like great drops of blood. And he says to God, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. I know what's about to happen to me. I'm going to be brutalized. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. And Jesus could have walked away, but he didn't. He says, Father, it's not my will, it's your will. This is your decision, and I'm going to abide by that. He doesn't quit on us. If he had quit in the garden, there would have been no cross, and there would have been, of course, no resurrection. But Jesus, even though there was a part of him that longed to do so, he never quit on us. He completed the task. He fulfilled the responsibility. Do you remember when he's hanging on the cross and people are spitting on him and mocking him and laughing at him? And there are those who say, if you are who you claim to be, come on down from the cross. In that moment, Jesus could have quit. He wasn't dead yet. They hadn't killed him. They brutalized him, but he's still alive. He could have come down from the cross and gone about his way. But he had not completed his task. He had not taken upon himself all of the sin of all of humanity for all of time and died to that sin. So he didn't come down. 
He didn't quit. And as a result of not quitting, we recognize, of course, that my sin and your sin is no longer our sin. It became a part of who Jesus is. As the Apostle Paul says, he became sin who knew no sin for the sake of all of humanity. He didn't quit when that would have been the easy thing to do. And I wrestle continually with the notion that if I were the writer of the Gospel of Mark, would I have included this story? At some level, it almost makes Jesus look weak, incapable. But on the contrary, I think what it really does is remind us of who Jesus is and our responsibility to be a people who believe. A people who recognize that when we believe, the one we call the Christ is energized and motivated and encouraged. Our belief makes a difference. And we, too, are called, just like Jesus, to recognize those moments in life when we try to accomplish something, we try to fulfill a goal, we try to reach something that we've always wanted to reach, and we fall short. The easy thing to do is quit. But we remind ourselves, like Jesus, if at first you don't succeed, you don't quit, you try again. Have you ever just felt the total absence of God? Have you ever been in a place spiritually where there is this void, this sense of emptiness? You don't quit on God in moments like that. What you do is you try again. Have you ever in your life had some kind of obstacle that you can't seem to shake, you can't seem to get rid of, you can't seem to overcome? You don't give in to it and just say, I got to deal with it. You keep trying. You keep working. If at first you don't succeed, you try again. Have you ever read your Bible regularly, prayed daily, worshiped weekly, and still felt nothing? You don't give up. You don't say, well, that was a total waste of time. You keep trying. If at first you don't succeed, you take the example of Jesus and you try again. You keep going. You keep doing it. You fulfill what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be. All of us at one time or another in life have reached a point where we've said enough is enough. I quit. We've all done that. We've quit on relationships. We've quit on responsibilities. We've all been there. But fundamentally and finally, our responsibility is to be bigger than that, live above all of that, and use the example that we have in Jesus about how we're supposed to be who God calls us to be. I'm so grateful that Ryan Hamra got up this morning and said something about clergy appreciation. That's nice because this week, interestingly enough, in preparing for this sermon, I came across a Barna survey, the Barna Research Group, a very credible organization who continually puts out information that's readily available to all of us and extraordinarily helpful, interviewed a staggering number of clergy in January of 2020. 
21. In 2021, 29% of all clergy, male and female, all denominations and non-denominational, 29% said that they were seriously contemplating quitting ministry for good. In March of 2022, just a few months ago, that 29% had risen to 43%. So more than four, uh, four out of every 10 clergy that you ever meet are seriously considering leaving active ministry once and for all, for good. And Barna tried to discover why it is that these clergy to such a high degree are ready to leave ministry once and for all. The number one reason, the intense and overwhelming pressure of the job. Having to try to get people to come back after a pandemic when there is this lackluster attitude about the church. Trying to raise money continually to keep people employed and to do the work we are called to do. And I get every bit of that. And the second reason of many reasons, the first two far and away the primary reasons, the second reason, the intense and profound sense of isolation and loneliness that accompanies the job. I get it. And then the question was, why are you still doing it if you're contemplating leaving it? And overwhelmingly, clergy have said, because I was called to do it. It's not my choice. I think for all of us, we reach a point in time in life where there are occasions when we need to quit. It's time to move on, whatever it may be. But when it comes to the faith, when it comes to trying to be who we're called to be, even in those moments in life where we are spiritually empty, even those occasions when we'd rather do something else than come to church, our responsibility is to keep doing it. And when we don't feel like we think we ought to feel, we don't quit, we don't give up. If at first you don't succeed, you keep plugging away, you keep trying, you keep going at it. It's going to happen. It has to because it's true. If at first you don't succeed, you try again. You keep plugging away. There's a woman who is a school teacher. She arrives early every morning. As her day progresses, she has to deal with an administrative staff that's not really interested in her or her classroom. She has a lot of disinterested students. She has parents who are constantly complaining. She stays up late every single night grading all of those papers. She finally reaches a point where she says, enough is enough. They don't pay me enough. The hours are too long. I'm worn out. I quit. And the next morning, she arrives at the school early 
all over again. There's a couple that squabbles all the time. They just continually fight. They fight over money. They fight over how to discipline their children. They fight over the most petty of things. They simply have gotten to a place in their relationship with each other where they don't like one another anymore. So finally, one evening, in a very rational way, they sit down and they say to one another, it's time for us to quit. It's over. They go to bed. They wake up the next morning, and before they go to their respective places of work, they kiss one another, and they say, I love you, all over again. There is a doctor, he's close to retirement. He's worked many, many years trying to bring about healing. But too many of his patients smoke way too much, drink too often, eat very poorly, and get little to no exercise. And it frustrates him continually. He gives advice daily to people who he knows are not going to take his advice, not going to take his recommendations, and not do what needs to be done to live a full and healthy life. He works long hours. His feet are tired every night when he gets home, having made rounds at the hospital once again. Oftentimes, seeing those very people who are patients in the hospital who should never be there to begin with if they had simply done what the doctor told them to do some time ago. He goes home one night, he's had enough. He's close enough to retirement, maybe to make it financially, not quite ready, but he's had enough. He's ready to quit. And he says, I'm done, no more. The next day, he knocks on the first examining room door. He walks in, says good morning to his patient, and asks, how you feeling? All over again. Isn't that life for a lot of us? For a lot of us, we have almost experiences regularly. We almost got what we wanted. We almost made it. We almost reached the goal. We almost quit. But there's something deep down inside of us that says, if at first you don't succeed, and we keep trying, we keep doing our part, just like Jesus, we don't quit. Hallelujah. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning in the hymn of invitation is number 451, Be Thou My Vision. As we sing this great hymn, if there are those here today who would like to, in a formal way, become a part of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church, for those of you here in the sanctuary, you can find a card in front of you that says how to join. As the ministers come down to the front during the closing hymn, we invite you to come forward. We'll give you the vows of the church, and we'll celebrate your presence with us today. If you are watching online or on television or interested in joining, please be in contact with the church. We'll be happy to give you information about how you can do that. However you choose to do that, we hope today is the day in which you make that decision as we all stand together to sing.
Thank you so much for your presence today. We want to remind you that communion is available in the chapel. If you need directions, simply go out this way. I'm sure our ushers will be happy to direct you that way. Dr. Hampton is over there for those who are interested in participating in the sacrament of Holy Communion. So we say to all of you today how grateful we are that you would choose to be here. It really, really is important for us to be the body of Christ together. So we say to all of you, God bless you. Have a great week. Walk with Jesus and tell somebody about Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. again for worshiping with us today at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. 
we invite you to visit our website to let us know you were a part of our viewing community today or to learn more about how you can get involved in our ongoing mission to love God, love neighbor, and change the world.